Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. Ooh, Jesus went to the other side a lot of the times. <laughs> Have some fun. Anyway, so <coughs> when Jesus had crossed over again by boy to the other side, that town called the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Continue. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Uh, First, leave me at verse 3. So you see Jairus coming to Jesus. He has a daughter and she's at the point of death. This is a full-blown crisis in the Jairus household. Full-blown crisis. Because by the time he's coming to Jesus, they probably tried all other methods to keep this girl alive, and she is dying. This is a full-blown crisis, just a little bit like what we have now. Jairus was a personal crisis, but what we have now is a global crisis. Global crisis. It's a full-blown crisis that we are in the midst of right now. And if we had some wisdom like Jairus, we would know where to go. That's to Jesus. Because they had tried everything else, and the last resort was Jesus. There's a bar in Chira on our way home. It's called the last resort. What a name for drinking joint. Of course, drinking joints are closed right now. But whoever owns the last resort, I thought you, you, you don't get branding better than that, the last resort. So this is a full-blown crisis. Now, let me get into some details to, to give you a, a little bit more context into what we are talking about here. Because the Bible says that Jairus is one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, for those who don't know, the synagogue is not a hotel. The synagogue is not a drinking joint. It's not the last resort. The synagogue is not uh, a school. The synagogue is not something. The synagogue is a religious establishment. It's a religious establishment. In that day, the people who worshipped the God, uh, Yahweh, who were of the Jewish religion called Judaism, worshipped in the synagogue or at the temple. They worshipped in the synagogue because they had to make adjustments because whereas the law was given to Moses when they were one community in the wilderness, now that they were scattered abroad all over the world, they couldn't keep coming to the temple to worship only there. So they created these places called synagogues where they would go to read the scriptures and listen to someone like you are listening to right now. However, these places, these religious places, had over time really lost a heart for God, where people were now into form 
more than substance. As is the case even today. I want to tell you in very clear terms that there is a difference between Jesus and religion. Because Jairus being one of the rulers of the synagogue, if indeed he was serving the same God that Jesus served, he would have dealt with a problem. So then I ask you, my friend who is watching today, even in the midst of this crisis we are facing, coronavirus, whatever it is, do you have Jesus or do you have the form and not the substance? Do you have Jesus or do you have the form and not the substance? Because religion abounds. Religion abounds. The form. You do this. You face these ends. When you do that, you, whatever, you jump, you lift the chair, you shout hallelujah, whatever it is. Uh, but when the crisis comes, it reveals and separates the religious from those who have a relationship with Jesus. So it has... Jairus, remember, he's not just a, a guy who attends the synagogue. No, he's not those who go there on Christmas and Easter only. There's a guy who, who the, the pastor, finally caught up with him one of those Sunday mornings when he was getting out of the, of the church and said, my brother, you've been scarce. You need to join the army of the Lord. And the pastor, this is the pastor telling him, you need to join the army of the Lord. And he said, pastor, I'm already in the army of the Lord. He says, but I don't see you except on Easter and Christmas. He says, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> I'm in the secret service. So, so there is a difference between belonging to the synagogue, having membership in the synagogue, even being a ruler of the synagogue. And having a relationship with Jesus. Most people assume that because I'm a pastor of Worship Harvest Ministries, I should have a relationship with Jesus. I want to tell you, the two are not synonymous. The two are not synonymous. My relationship with Jesus is very different from my role as the pastor of this church. And if I don't pay attention to my relationship with Jesus and keep parroting my position as pastor, I may soon end up with no relationship with form without substance. Now, if it can happen to me, the leader of the church, I can assure you it can happen to you, the member of the church, if you don't pay attention. So what are we saying? What are we saying? There's a difference between belonging to the synagogue, being a member of the synagogue, or even a ruler, and having a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> it's easy to play religion until a real crisis shows up like it has right now. This crisis is revealing the difference between those who have been playing religion and those who have a relationship with Jesus. I'm preaching better than you're listening. So this was Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. He had a crisis in his home. His daughter was dying. The, 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 the researchers, psychologists say there are two things. That worst two things that could ever happen to a human being. Two. Two. Like 
of all the challenges you could face in life, including the ones Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, two are on top of that list as far as scientists, psychologists, doctors are concerned. The two worst things that could ever happen to a human being in their lifetime. One is divorce. Two is losing a child. Those are the two. So before you file for that divorce, even though you are the, affect, the affected party, even though you are the one who feels like the other person has done you wrong, I want you to think about it. Because you don't know what's on the other side of that decision and it's being executed. It's the worst thing that could ever happen. Either that or losing a child. So Jairus was facing one of them, losing a child. Now, here's the third point I want to make in, in, the, in these opening verses. That the religious establishment, including synagogues, didn't have a great relationship with Jesus. Remember that? How many times was, was, was he thrown out of the synagogues? Or told, don't heal on the Sabbath, don't... Jesus wasn't... Jesus was brought up at the synagogue because that's where he learned how to read the scriptures. But by the time he started his ministry, he wasn't a very popular figure with the religious establishment. He was a threat to their authority. And so they didn't treat him really well. But even the Jairus knew that they as the establishment didn't have a good relationship with Jesus. It didn't stop him from going to Jesus because he knew where the solution lay. So you may have been playing religion, but that shouldn't stop you from going to Jesus. Because Jesus is gracious. Jesus is good. Jairus begged him honestly. Why? Because he knew deep down that the person who can resolve my crisis is Jesus. Not our religious practices at the synagogue. Think about it. Why didn't Jairus pick up his daughter and take to the synagogue and they do all that whatever they do there? Right now, the church has left the building. <laughs> Literally. But some people think that the only way God can work is by people coming into buildings. It didn't work for Jairus. Jesus had to go home. Jesus had to go to Jairus' house like Jesus is coming to your home. Today, today, he's near all of us if we only call upon him. Amen. I'm excited. My goodness. So, Jairus knew that Jesus knew and believed that Jesus was able to heal his daughter, so he asked him. Now, let's move on to verse 24. Now, that, that was about the ruler. The ruler, I've described to you Jairus' relationship with Jesus and the crisis is in. Put yourself there if you want. The next section is the multitude. Verse 24 says, So Jesus went with him. With who? With Jairus. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So Jesus went with him. Jesus is always willing to minister to all who come to him in faith regardless of background. Regardless of how you've come to him. For you may have neglected Jesus all these years until coronavirus showed up. And you think you have to first make up for the lost years before you can ask Jesus. No, you don't need to. 
Jairus didn't first come and say, Jesus, I know we've been abusing you at the synagogue. We've had committee meetings about you. We have la, 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 la. Now please first forgive me. But seriously, my daughter. No, 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 no. He just came and told him, come, come help me. Jesus is available for you. It doesn't matter. <laughs> He's available for you even though you've been away for too long. He still wants to minister to you. So Jesus went, can you believe? Jesus went with Jairus. Nothing can stop Jesus from going with you if you come to him by faith. And the great multitude followed him. Now, here is the thing that interests me. A great multitude seemed to follow Jesus around everywhere he went. There is something called the law of power. The law of power states that people and resources gravitate towards spiritual power. People and resources gravitate towards spiritual power. That's the law of power. I don't have time to expound on it because it's not my main point today. But think about it. There is a great multitude following Jesus. Jairus didn't create the multitude. By the time he came to Jesus, Jesus already had this whole multitude following him. But Jesus has time for that one person. Jesus is willing to leave the multitude and come to your house. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like, Jesus was like, but Jairus, this is not a good time. See, all these people, they all want to be healed. They are hungry. They are wet. No. This whole crowd was following Jesus. But when Jairus came, he said, okay, I'll come with you. And guess what did the multitude do? They followed. Now, let me tell you something about the multitude. Because you might be among them. Not everyone following is gaining something from the experience. <laughs> I'll repeat that. Not everyone following is gaining something from the experience. Think about it. In this story, in Mark chapter 5, there are two main characters who gained something from being around Jesus. It was Jairus and the woman who touched the hem of his garment, who had been sick for many years and had spent everything on physicians. Now think about it. Why they only write about Jairus and a woman. What did the other people get out of this whole thing of following Jesus? Probably nothing. Mobocracy is not a good faith strategy. Just being around a mob with eh, eh, these people are following Jesus. I'm also among the number. Oh, Lord, I want to be among the number. Oh, when the saints go marching out. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, Lord, I want to be among the number. Oh, when the saints go marching. Look. It better be among the number, but the point I'm making is this. Too much mobocracy. Too much, I go, I, I go to worship harvest. I go to XY Church. I go to Rolling Stones Catch Nomos International Ministries of the Holy Ghost Fire. I go to Our Lady of the Other and Our Gentleman of the Other. Look. <laughs> and then we start fighting each other in the body of Christ based on which multitude we attend. <laughs> the evidence is contrary. The evidence is contrary. There is something called the secret place. 
The secret place doesn't take too many people. That's what makes it secret. He says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Those are, that's where we talk about all those scriptures. He's my refuge and strength, my fortress and my tower. He shall deliver me, he shall give his angels charge over me. Who? He who dwells in the secret place. But everyone is claiming the scripture, Psalm 91, without first abiding in the secret place. You think going with the mob is going to raise your faith. Going with the mob has never done anything good for your faith. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Not everyone following is gaining something from the experience. There's a mob following Jesus everywhere, but they didn't get anything out of it. Some of them had people falling sick and dying back home while following Jesus. And the rule of the synagogue came and took Jesus home to, to raise the dead. Some of them, oh my goodness, you can be in church and be broke. Uh, you can be in church and be so broken and listen to the same sermon every week, maybe twice if you have three services. Oh no, thrice. And five years down the road, your life is still the same. You've prayed all the praying, you've come for all the services, you've done all the fasting, whatever it is. Five years down the road, your life is still the same. And the gyruses of this world and the women of the issue of blood of this world are gaining something from the experience while you are playing church. Tell your neighbor, not good. You know what? Connect with Jesus. Don't just be in the mob. Connect with Jesus. This quarantine season, this stay-at-home season, this wash-your-hands-with-soap season, this sanitize season, this don't-cough-spit-sniff season is a good time to connect with Jesus. Many people are wondering what to do about coronavirus. Considering that it has overwhelmed countries which have a hundred, a thousand times the capacity of our medical services. Can I tell you what you can do? Three words. Study the word. Pray. Fast. Simple. You don't need the mob to fast. <laughs> you don't need the mob to fast. You don't need the mob to pray. You don't need the mob to read your Bible. It's in English and you went to school. The season. For, unless you are not a student of spiritual things, the season of the mob is over. The season of the mob is over and those who know their God shall do exploits. While the mob is weeping, those who, do the, 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 who know their Lord shall do exploits. Take me to verse 25. I'm running out of time before I start making my points. Verse 25. The woman. The woman. Let's talk about the woman. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years. That's just two years shorter than how long this church has been going. Twelve years. That's a long time. And had suffered many things from many physicians. 
She had spent all that she had and was not better, but rather grow worse. One of the reasons you must resist sickness is because when it comes into your life, it kills all the other capitals. It takes financial capital with it. It takes relational capital with it. You become an outcast. And others. But this woman, when she heard about Jesus, she was there. Thick, broke, all social about those who used to say, We are your friend, we are they are all fled forsook forsaken and fled. But she had about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? Jesus. I said, Jesus. Jesus. There is something about that name. Oh, Master. Savior Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Oh, Jesus. I said, Jesus. Jesus, slowly heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms. I said pandemics and diseases. I said poverty and illiteracy shall all pass away. But there is something about that name. When she heard about Jesus, something about the name Jesus. Ooh. Something about the name Jesus. It is the sweetest name I know. Yeah. Oh, how I love the name Jesus. Oh, how I love the name Jesus. It is the sweetest name I know. When she heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, when I heard about Jesus, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is you've been going through in your life. I don't know what has lasted 12 years. I don't know what has lasted 12 weeks. I don't know what has lasted 12 months. I don't know what has lasted 12 days. But I can tell you, at the name of Jesus. 
Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that his Lord to the glory of the Father. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Just a cloth, just a cloth, just a cloth. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Look, the whole crowd was there around Jesus, but they didn't know how to draw power out of him. Only one woman knew how to draw power out of Jesus. Some of you have been around Jesus too long. You're too familiar with him. You don't know how to get anything. Don't get familiar with Jesus. Maintain your worship lifestyle. Keep singing those songs in the privacy of your life. Keep your heart tender towards Jesus. Ah, who touched my clothes? My disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? As in Jesus now. Where were they and he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Ooh. Ooh. Now, here is a point I'm going to make about this This part we have read. That part we've read is a series on its own. It's not my main point. I'm just going to talk about it. Think about it. You're Jairus. Jesus is a popular guy. Everyone wants a bit of Jesus. You finally catch Jesus' attention. Imagine maybe he's finishing off a few healings here and there. Get up on your bed and walk with you. Jairus. Solved. Solved. But I, I'll see you later. Ah, uh, Koboneda, we are going with you. Cool, cool. But I'm going to Jairus. So he starts walking towards Jairus. Now Jairus is like, oh, 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 finally, there is hope for my daughter. Jesus is coming. And then what happens? This woman happens. Has he ever been there? And you feel like, finally, God is about to answer my prayer. And then someone else budges in with violent faith. Has you ever been in a prayer meeting and you feel like, I think I'm about to get it. I think it's about to happen. Then someone breaks out with a testimony somewhere else in the corner and disrupts the meeting. Have you ever felt like, God, who is delaying you? <laughs> who is keeping you busy before you reach my place? Oh my goodness. Think, think about this. Think about this. Think about it. When you're believing for something in the, and in the intensity of it, someone starts shouting, Hallelujah. It has happened for me. You've been believing for healing. You're in the same prayer group and you're like, Bananga this week. People even say, This week we are fasting for Angela. We are all going to fast until Angela gets here. Then, then, then on day five of the fast, you feel like everyone is fasting for me. Something is about to happen for me. It happens for one of the other people in the prayer group for whom you are not fasting. And he starts thinking, 
this is misallocation of resources. I am the one who came and called you. We are going to my house. This other person doesn't have an appointment. How does she get her miracle before mine? Thankfully, with Jesus, he has more than one miracle. He has more than enough resources to take care of more than just you. You can celebrate for those who are getting theirs before yours. Yours will come. All right? Verse 35. While he was still speaking to the woman and these other people, some came from the rule of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher and the father? So basically... This woman has delayed Jesus to the point that Lazarus' daughter even died. What kind of fellowship is this? Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the master any further? The woman's delaying of Jesus meant that things got worse at Jairus' house. His daughter died. <laughs> Now, meanwhile, for you, you understand, of course, that God is omniscient and omnipresent, unlike when it was Jesus by himself. So now he can operate in many places at the same time. But still, you can get a sense of things are going badly, then they become worse. <laughs> when things are not doing well, then they become worse. When things are not going well, then they become Worse. Think about it. I remember when I was in A level, A level, things were not going well. Things were not going well with my studies. Things were going badly. I was doing badly. Bad delay. I was like, what's going to happen to me if I don't pass these exams? Things are going badly. I couldn't get a handle of that mathematics for some reason. Advanced level, pure mathematics and mechanics were taking me down together with physics. The only thing I was doing, I was doing PEM art. Art, I was doing okay because I was talented uh, artistically. But other things were going badly. Things went so bad that by the time we got our mock results back in third term of senior six, I had an O in mathematics and an E in physics. And mocks are the ones that are supposed to test where you will fall in, 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 the, in the USCE. It's like the test case. Yeah? It's like... You know, if the Olympics have been postponed, but if you're going to for the 100 meter dash and you want to do it below 10 seconds to be, to be one of the champions, really, by the time you do the trials you, at, at the national level for your country, you must already be doing below 10 seconds as a national championship or something. Now, if you do 14 seconds and then you still sign up for the Olympics, that was me. Or in math, in physics, and things going south real quick. Things were bad. Then two weeks to those self-same said exams, which I was supposed to struggle and catch up with, my mom passed on. That's bad, not to worse. 
That's like from bad to something that's beyond worse, you know. More worse, worst, worst, worst. It's like worst, worst, squared. Is that talk about it now several years hence, but in the moment, I felt like something had been yanked out of me. I felt helpless, hopeless. I felt lost. Because as a last born, I felt like my mom was one of the few anchors I had in life. Having lost her dad much earlier. So now when she went, I was like, this is it, this is it. This is it. No, it's over. <laughs> it's over. I remember the, the, the most distinctive memory I have of my mom's funeral is the crying. I, I, I cried. I had never cried like that in my life, and I've never cried like that ever since. And I hope to never, ever have to cry like that again. But I, when you cry until you feel like your soul has left you, and then I picked myself up and went back to Busoga College Miri for those last two weeks to UNEB. And God performed miracles. God performed miracles. This boy who had all in math and in physics came out fourth best in the country. I got 22 points and went to Mackay University to study architecture. People talk about God as if he's an idea. Some of us have experienced God. <laughs> we've touched God. We've, we've, we, we've been rescued by God. We, we've seen him pick us from, just, it's as if when you fall off a, a building and just when you're about to hit the ground, they just pick you up. The way an eagle would pick up an eaglet. Some of us have been there. And, and, and we don't have the option of running around in panic mode like everyone else. Because we've seen God. So he said, why trouble the teacher and the father? You know, so, some of you things have become so bad that your continuing to stand in faith sound, irritates other people. Like, she's in denial. We've told her. She's there, but no, she's still waiting on God. Even God would understand if you stopped believing at this stage. That's what some of you have been told. Some of you, you are at a certain age where you've been told that for you to get married, to get a husband in this 256, be very cool. Hmm? Go get a child through some method. You've been told such stuff. You're like, they're like, you are now 48. Why trouble the master any further? I tell you, I've seen Jesus give husbands to 50-year-olds. <laughs> My goodness! Why trouble the master any further? Why trouble the teacher any further? Some of you, <laughs> oh my goodness. Your, your financial state is so bad. People are like, you know, even if you don't give, God will understand. For your scenario, you, you are being tempted to stop walking in faith. Hmm? You, you, your sickness is so bad. 
that people are like, do you have a will? <laughs> like, 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 let's stop uh, bothering God about this. Let, let's prepare for departure. I remember a story, and Pastor B3 is here in this small audience, of a good friend of ours who just got taken out by sickness. They couldn't identify. I'm talking intensive care unit. I'm talking Aga Khan Hospital, Nairobi, for weeks. They even rented an apartment. Weeks. And they couldn't figure out what was killing this mother of children and wife and friend. And then we happened to be in Nairobi for fearless and then Pastor B3 and Jeremy and I think a couple of other people just passed by the hospital. Faces we are in the country. And what the husband tells me is that B3 just prayed a very simple prayer like worship of his people. We pray simple prayers. We are no longer into, oh Lord, no. Old Testament. They said she prayed a very simple prayer. Uh, and I've not corroborated the story with B3, but this was from the husband. So they went on a Friday. She, they prayed a very simple prayer. This is a person, things are bad. I'm talking weeks in Nairobi, Aga Khan Hospital. And he said that night, the lady just somehow got faith and refused to take the medicine because she was on a huge regime of medicine. The pain, she was on the kind of painkillers that are beyond, the beyond, the beyond, the beyond painkillers you are supposed to take. Like, talk, some of you don't even understand what I'm talking about, but think about morphine. Now, when morphine no longer works, and now you're on some painkillers which even you don't know about, you're not supposed to know about them unless you are either a medical person or a criminal. And these people prayed the simple prayer and said that night she just somehow got faith to say, I'm not going to take this medicine. Then they called the consultant and said, This person has refused to take the medicine. And the consultant didn't know what to do. So they called the, the consultant, of course, like, No, 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 no. When the pain hits her properly, she will be down crying out for the medicine. So the consultant calls Saturday morning. Uh huh. Thinking, this people didn't call me to, call, to tell me that the person had finally decided to take the medicine because the pain attacked her. Don't you know? She's eating. He's like, she's what? Tuesday the next week. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Tuesday, they were dismissed from the hospital. When we talk about Jesus, you people, That we are psyching people up. You don't know what we know. If you knew what we knew, you wouldn't be panicking. I'm, I'm out of time. Verse 36. Ay, 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 ay. Verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, in other words, the daughter had died. He said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Another preacher sort of went through this verse in a more detailed way and said, he said, 
This is what Jesus told Jairus. Stop the fear. Stop the fear. Stop the fear. You cannot have, this Kenneth Copeland says, you cannot have Abraham's blessing with Thomas's faith. Jesse Duplantis says, fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Why did Jesus warn him to stop the fear? Because Jesus knew that that fear was going to interrupt with Jesus' operation in, this, in the ministry. You know, your fear can mess up your faith and you disturb what God would have wished to give you. God wants the best for all of us. But when we entertain fear, when we bring fear into the picture, he can't work. That's why he says, stop the fear. Stop the fear. Even though Jesus himself was present, Jesus wasn't like, Kalebambi, Jairus is now panicking because they've told him the daughter is dead. He doesn't know I'm here. Anyway, let him panic. When he's done with this panic, just go to his house and raise the daughter. Why did, why did Jesus stop him from fearing? Because Jesus knew that the fear could hinder Jesus' performance. Jesus doesn't like fear. Stop the fear, people. Stop the fear. Do not be afraid only. Believe. In other, do you know the meaning of the word only there? The only thing you should do is believe. Don't believe plus other things. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Stop the fear. Let's, let's finish this sermon. Because I, I, I'm getting into the nice part. Verse 37, the separation, the separation. And, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He permitted no one to follow him. When the situation gets to that level, when things go from bad to worse, remember up to this point, the crowd, the multitude has been following Jesus. The multitude must be stopped. The multitude must be stopped. Some of you think you're going to get to your miracle with that whole, what the Basoga called, Ikukubida following you. It's not going to happen. You must leave the Ikukubida behind you, my friend. You must leave the multitude behind. Jesus knew that he is not going to be effective in this critical time in Jairus' life if he took everyone. Moreover, he didn't even take all the 12 disciples. He even left the rest. He only took Peter, James, John, and then Jairus. So think about it. It's Jesus, Jairus, Peter, James, John. Five people. From the multitude, only five are continuing on this mission because the rest have been considered by heaven to be irrelevant to what's about to happen. Not only irrelevant, a hindrance. Who is your multitude? Who must you leave behind for resurrection to happen? Who do you need to leave behind for resurrection to happen? And who are you, Peter, James, and John? Are, everyone needs people in your life who, when X hits the fan, you're like, I'm calling on you, so and so and so. We are going into a three-day drive fast. This situation must be averted. 
Some of you don't have those. You only have all your drinking friends. And my friend, when the crisis comes, don't work. You need people who are like, we will not eat, we will not drink until we are standing with you in faith to avert the situation. We will not speak any negative thing. We will not talk about it on social media. We will not even testify on your behalf and say, Kale, for us, we stood with Sister So-and-so and she got married. No, we will just stand with you, with Jesus, to stop the enemy from taking your destiny away. You need those people in your life. You need your Peter, James, and John. And you need to let go of the multitude. You need to let go of the crowd. He did not allow anyone to follow. The crowd was left behind. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and found there another crowd. And saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Now imagine you're Jairus, you're walking with Jesus, Peter, Jesus, and then you've left the multitude, but then you find a worse crew back home, weeping, wailing loudly, in other words, agreeing with the situation in the physical. And you're about to get into spiritual operations here, but you find those who are so carnal, they only agree with what they see with their physical eyes. You try to tell them things of heaven, they can't understand them. They cannot discern them. Woe betide you if those are your closest friends. My goodness. Where were we? So when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. <laughs> you know, when Jesus says things that are spiritual, but the people in the room are carnal, and to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So what does Jesus do? Jesus does what all of you should do. What did he do? He, but when he had put them all outside, he took the father, the mother, Peter, James, and John, now only six people, and entered where the child was lying. Amen. I told you once things get to a certain level, the multitude has to be left behind. There has to be a select group of people who are going to walk by faith, who get into that space. Those who go into the space where the resurrection must happen, the whalers must be removed. Those with untamed tongues who agree with the devil and only proclaim what they see, they are as if they are journalists in the flesh. They cannot have a prophetic utterance on their tongue. But the Bible says, Jesus entered in where the child was sleeping. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I say I was finishing? Not yet. And now I'm finishing. This is the first finish. My goodness. My goodness. I know you people, you are in quarantine. You are going nowhere. You're not going to shop. You're not going to play. You, you're with me. I'm with you. And I'm, I'm blessing you big. <sighs> He entered in where the child was sleeping. God is not a show-off. God is not a show-off. 
Jesus wasn't like, bring that child to the crusade. Then I show all these people. <laughs> Most people want the miracles to happen at church on stage with the cameras on. And God is not doing it. The resurrection was not publicized. It wasn't on CNN. It wasn't on Fox News. No one witnessed the resurrection. Not a single person witnessed the resurrection. The most important event in universal history was not witnessed by a human being. Why? Because God wants you to continue to walk by faith and not by sight. God refuses to be drawn into human machinations where we say, Kali, God, prove yourself. He has refused to prove himself. God does not need to prove himself to anyone. So when he's going to fix this problem, he gets everyone out and he has only five people, the mother, the father, the three. Then he fixes the problem. In the secrecy of that room, he fixes the problem in the secrecy of that room with the crowd away. The crowd will only see the testimony on the worship of praise and testimonies page. That's where the crowd is. That's where they will see the testimony. They will not witness the operation of the resurrection of your dream, of your marriage, of your business, of your body, of I don't know what needs resurrecting in your life, but the crowd can't witness it. Can't witness it. That's not how God works. That's not what God... God is about to do some things in your life and those who hear you will still have to believe. They will have to believe. You will tell them and they will be like, I can't believe it. And you'll be like, yeah. But it happened. Ha! Why? Jesus has thrown everyone out. Stop the fear. Jesus entered the room. The operation, verse 41. This is the second closing. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Whatever has died on you, Jesus is saying today, Talitha Kumi, arise. If you bring Jesus into that room, if you bring Jesus into that secret place where the, the thing has died, bring Jesus into the place of pain. Bring Jesus into the place of death. Bring Jesus into the place of uncertainty. And one command from him, Talitha Kumi, is going to change the situation. Don't just sit there with a bad situation, about to get worse and behave like the crowd. Engage Jesus honestly like Jairus did. Tell Jesus, you must come to my house. Tell Jesus, you must come. You are not going to hang out with you in the crowd. I need you personally. I need to be my personal person. Jesus, Jesus, my marriage is going down. You must come to my marriage. My health is terrible. You must come to my health. 
My business is closing, Jesus. No, it's closed. <coughs> you must come to my business. Things are not looking good. When things are not looking good, don't sit around with the multitude and just cry. Tears are not a sign of faith. Faith, the Bible doesn't say faith comes by tearing. Mm -mm. <laughs> the other says faith comes by tearing. No, no, faith comes by hearing. Replace the T with an H and hearing by the word of God. Replace the T with, uh, with an H and get Jesus into the situation. Get Jesus, uh, uh, get Jesus. This is my last finish. This, this is the last finish and I really have to do this last finish. There is a small detail that I'd never read in that text until last night. Okay, I've read it, but I'd never read it. You know what I'm saying? And that small detail is that she was 12 years of age. Why would the scriptures find it necessary to reveal the age of this girl? Ay, 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 ay. Uh, that spoke to me. That spoke to me. In other words, the devil was about to steal, to kill, to destroy this young life before she had fulfilled her purpose, her potential in life at only 12. At 12 years of age, who has done anything? In other words, the devil wasn't just going to steal the life of this child. He was going to steal the destiny of this child, the marriage of this child, which hadn't happened yet, the children of this child, which hadn't been born yet, the, 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 the ministry of this child, which hadn't been launched yet, the businesses of this child, which we are yet to be born, we are all going to be stolen at that stage. And some of us are in that situation right now. There are things in your life they haven't yet matured. They haven't yet reached that stage of maturity. They have not yet brought forth. They have not yet fulfilled their potential like me being taken out by measles at age six. All that you witness right now, including this someone and whatever it is you have heard about my life, good, bad, and ugly, whatever it is, nothing would happen if the enemy had taken my life at that stage. But my mother, my father, they fought by faith, by medicine, whatever it took, to make sure I survived that ordeal so that we can be here today to see what we are seeing today, what is dying on you. Before time. What is dying before time with long life, he will satisfy you and show you his salvation. Why don't you receive that? Why, what, what, what is, what, what, is, is, is it the marriage dying? You see your marriage can die in its infancy. Mine nearly did. And if your marriage dies in its infancy, then the children you have brought forth, ah, who will have changed the world then can't be born because you let it die in its infancy. Bring Jesus into the room. Is your business dying in its infancy? Have you heard of Amazon? It had an infancy stage and it nearly died. There are things that you have to contend for in their infancy so that you can see the mature stage of those things. 
and the destination they bring. Is your church dying in its infancy? How about if God has destined that church or that ministry to reach two million people and then you let it die at 60 people? Pastors, what must you contend for? What must you contend for? Where, where, what do you need to stand up and fight for and say, this shall not die on my watch? My marriage will not die on my watch. My ministry will not die on my watch. My business, maybe your business is supposed to eventually employ 10,000 people and give sustenance to 10,000 families. And now you're struggling with debt. And now you're trying to figure out what to do. Things are going south now. They've said you can't even operate. What, 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 are you going to lie down and take it like that? I want to propose to you that it's time to contend for destinies right now, Ugandans. It's time to contend for the destiny of this nation right now. Don't go around eating all the meals you can in this season. This is not the time to eat. This is not the time to be into entertainment. This is not the time for Netflix. This is not the time for soaps. This is not the time to complain on social media. This is the time to contend for the future of this nation and for your family and for generations, for destinies, for ministries, for business, whatever it is. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.